Hey, 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 beautiful human. It's the Juice Queen here, delivering all those ooey-gooey, drippy topics that will leave you simply drenched in curiosity and connection. So let's vibe over, you know, the juice, shall we? My name is Mila Mandolfo, and my sole mission is to make you feel seen, heard, valued, and validated in such a way that you remember who you truly are. And in that, you're never alone. This is a soft, safe, and sassy place where all of you is welcome. So come on, let's dive in. Hello, good people. Thanks for tuning in for what I believe to be one of the more challenging episodes. Why is it challenging? Um, Because most people don't like to be confronted with things that make them feel discomfort. And uh, oftentimes, something that brings discomfort to the masses is topics such as racism, sexism, and many of the other isms. This episode, we are centering on racism. Um, because I'm going to be talking about my experience in 2020 um, navigating protests, my own little fucking awakening, if you will, um, my own commitment to being a better fucking human, and in that process, getting assaulted and arrested at a protest and what that looked like. I do want to start by just clarifying another reason why I've resisted uh, sharing this, and this is challenging for me. Um, So it's challenging for me, first of all, because uh, legally I was silenced after the assault and the arrest, and um, I wasn't allowed to talk about it, I wasn't allowed to post certain things. Um, So a year later after that date, so today's actually two years from the day I was arrested, um, but a year after... I was free, if you will. Um, I My charges were dropped, and I could speak on it again. And a year ago, I made, like, an Instagram story about my experience, um, but that's pretty much all I could share. I didn't have, like, the emotional or mental capacity to, to go beyond that, um, but I did share that I would come back around and do a podcast episode on this, And here we are a year later, and I'm finally making that happen. And so the reasons why I've resisted were, of course, because, like I said, legally silenced, but also the the trauma that came with and and the PTSD that came with the experience made me really resistant to even want to, like, rehash all this shit. Um, But most importantly, another reason I've done or I've resisted um, my story is because I'm not trying to spotlight myself when it comes to black and brown issues. Um, Although I am a super microscopic percent um, African descent from Sudan, um, like way back in my lineage, uh, I'd say like 3% or less, and I do have uh, black and brown family members I myself am mostly white passing. I've always been perceived and go by Caucasian. And with that being said, I am born into white privilege, okay? And I am not trying to uh, spotlight my 
fucking white experience. And so that's something that has been really difficult for me. Um, I wouldn't even say difficult for me to navigate. If anything, it was just important for me to pause and I'm not trying to put me and my experience on a pedestal when there's plenty of other um, people of color who have way more important messages than my fucking little story. I am not important, okay? Um, but I am sharing simply to offer uh, a lens into the experience because, yes, I have been asked a lot of questions over the years since the incident. And like I said, I haven't really ever spoken on it in depth. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that I'm not looking for pity and I'm not looking for praise and I'm not looking for anything other than to, than to just be totally transparent with my experience now that I am free to do so. Um, I also want to name, as we're starting this pod, that this is a challenging uh, topic for me and so uh, typically, I like to just record a podcast from the beginning to end, just go for it, just straight up. Um, but in a topic such as this, I'm like full disclosure, I might pause and take a breather here and there. So if you um, hear me take a second, that's my disclosure as to why. <clears throat> Thank you for receiving me in this state. Um, Definitely is a vulnerable topic, and um, I'm going to do my best to deliver everything as clear and concisely and um, transparently as possible. All right, so I want to start the episode by sharing. <clears throat> Let's just dive into 2020, right? So... Um, we all started 2020 with like different goals and like expectations of what that year was going to look like. And then a shitstorm occurred, right? And, you know, COVID and then um, a slew, you know, and it was also the presidential election. And so there's all this, you know, ickiness, stickiness there, um, highs and lows, like people's nervous systems um, are, were nearly constantly um, in that fight or flight or fawn or freeze um, state. And so we got, we got the, the lockdown and we got a, our, all of our plans being canceled and we have like um, our freedoms being taken away and uh, our job, like we can't go to school or work. Um, and then uh, boom, George Floyd gets murdered. Now, I just wanna make clear Obviously, um, killings in America, I, I'm pretty sure there's like 750 um, murder, murders by police um, thus far in 2022 alone. Um, and that might even be a little lagged in um, the stats there. But what I'm trying to say is that it's not uncommon for people to die and especially die by the police in America, um, also with the mass shootings and so on and so forth. And it's not uncommon for black, brown, and basically any non-white person to fucking be murdered by others in America as well. Obviously, hella common as well. And so 
the difference was with George Floyd is that because we were on lockdown, because of this fucking pandemic, everyone was on this slower pace. A lot of people were at home and a lot of people were already aggravated in their nervous system. And so when that happened, people, not only did they have the time to give a shit, their nervous systems were hella activated and they were like, oh, hell no, right? And I, myself, was one of those people. It's, it's almost, I almost feel ashamed gonna be honest here like this whole episode is just gonna be me owning my fucking shit I almost feel ashamed that it took us all so long to give that much of a fuck right like that's almost embarrassing but also uh you know thank the universe or whatever the fuck the stars aligned for us all to be in that position to give more of a fuck but um, it is hella embarrassing. I am ashamed for our culture. I'm ashamed for my, you know, white race that uh, we have put people of color in the position to not be seen in their, well, in their entirety, let's be real, but in their constant fucking abuse and murder. So anyway, apologies on the behalf of myself um, and uh, the others who were and or still are oblivious right so yeah so when George Floyd died I know I can remember exactly where I was even um it just felt super intense more intense than usual and literally there were protests in all 50 states and 18 other fucking countries for Black Lives Matter. That's fucking insane. Um, and beautiful, right? Beautifully insane. Um, and so there was all this collective energy all over the globe um, of people saying, what in the actual fuck? Like, we are done with this. Like, we're done with this. And so um, there was all this momentum. There was all this energy. And I live in Denver, which is very progressive and socio-political city. And right away, there were protests happening downtown. And the, I'm talking peaceful protests. I'm talking you show up, you have a little sign, you are walking or chanting, uh, singing, whatever, down the street or at the Capitol and so on um, to exercise your First Amendment right to free speech and stand up for what you believe in. And so I felt blessed to be in a city that actually fucking had some proactivity, like instant proactivity. Pardon me. And, you know, just hopped on down to the Capitol um, a few, several times. Um, and it was powerful, powerful, dude. Like, we were having... Um, speakers in the in the uh, Civic Park. We were having, um, on 4th of July, there was this massive march, but also all this beautiful, um, like, BIPOC curated um, events and, like, Black-owned businesses and uh, uh, vendors and... Um, uh, food, 
being served at these events. So they were like alternative ways to show up for the community that wasn't just like blasting fireworks and being like, woo, yay, 4th of July, Amer America, right? Um, in fact, it was 4th of July, so Dem Denver, Denver has many different scenes, different communities. Denver is like 30 minutes away from a place called Boulder, and Boulder tends to have more of this like spiritual hippie vibe, um, which I definitely, I'm, I'm a spiritual person as well, um, and like I often will find myself going to Boulder for this meditation or breath work or ecstatic dance or, you know, this workshop, right? Like I have accessibility, it's nearby, but I will say that there is a certain type of energy up there that is a little bit different than Denver um, that could be described um, as kind of like a bubble and there's kind of this like um, kind of pseudo spiritual energy because it's that bubble that there's this lack of awareness of the reality going on outside of it. And I'm bringing this up because I just want to name that while I was navigating all these, um, you know, emote, the, all the emotions coming up for me around um, protesting and like, I felt a civic fucking duty, especially as a white human, to educate myself, uh, show up, put myself out there um, and become an active, actively anti-racist. Um, how can I show up for my community of color um, that need white support? Because, I don't know, here's a way to think of it. The oppressed, can hoot and holler and scream for their rights till the end of time. But it's the oppressors that they're trying to reach, right? If the oppressors aren't listening, then nothing will ever fucking change. So if you happen to be born into the oppressors bracket, so what I mean by this is if people of color are being oppressed by white-bodied humans, and I happen to be born into a white body, I personally believe that it is my duty to be an educated, informed, actively anti-racist human in a white body to lead by example, to help educate the other white folk around me because it is not the responsibility of people of color. They're the ones who have been bullied, abused, oppressed, murdered for literally centuries and millennia. They deserve to have other people stand in, right? They, they deserve to take a fucking break, okay? They deserve to feel nourishment and to feel held and to feel seen and to feel like they don't have to constantly day after day after day after day fight for their right to fucking breathe, to fucking exist. And um, I strongly believe that. And I, you know, that was coming for me very strongly, um, especially in 2020. And um, so 
what I'm trying to say is that I found myself stepping into the role on, for example, social media or within my communities, um, trying to gather people um, or hold people accountable when microaggressions were being said or people were mm, exhibiting white fragility, maybe, or spiritual bypassing. And so what do I mean by this? Um, so white fragility would be something like, I'm over here saying, hey, it's on us, white folk, to um, stand up and protect and like go down and protest. It's on us, you know, it's our ancestors. And then other people in the white community are like, well, it's not me. That, that's so old, that's like centuries old. I didn't do that, I'm not racist. Stop trying to shame me and stop trying to blame me. That doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to me, okay? And so they're trying to shift the shame, okay? And say, this isn't about me. Take it away from me, don't come at me. Um, and I mean, I get it, like I understand. Shame feels uncomfortable. Right? And like, I guess what I'm saying is that I'm not like, we're not blaming you specifically, like you did something harmful, right? But there is a responsibility, right, to hold space for these people's experience. Now, perhaps you have black and brown friends who you haven't done anything racist towards, right? Or maybe they haven't even experienced too much racism in their current life. Um, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist or it hasn't existed or that it's not an ever pervasive systemic experience that we are all having as a collective. Um, so by saying something like, I'm uncomfortable because I feel shame and blame, right? Um, in my opinion, you're, first of all, making it about you. You're making literal systemic abuse about you and your, your feelings, your experience of being held accountable. Um, and like that's valid. That's valid that you feel uncomfortable and you don't want to feel that. And also, my question to you is, is it not a privilege to experience the shame of your ancestors versus the actual daily discrimination, the daily disrespect, the daily abuse, the daily segregation? Um, it is a privilege to witness this shit and not actually experience it. And so I felt it was a duty of mine to interject wherever it seemed necessary, um, whether it be just in conversation, passing by, or on social media. Um, I had some, a, com this, a little community of people over here who wanted to have an, what did they call it? Like a liberation day 
party for 4th of July in the midst of all these murders and like civil unrest. And I brought up to the host of the party, perhaps the name of the party is a little spiritually passive and dismissive to the experience of the other people who exist in the world right now, in America right now, who don't feel free at all. In fact, they probably feel fear. They probably feel exhaustion, and they don't feel liberated in the least. Um, and it created this wonderful dialogue with a lot of people, um, but they were, I would say the ratio um, of like those who were like, oh yeah, that's super important, like that's so true, let's, like, let's sit with this, you know. Um, I'd say it was like probably 10%. Um, maybe 15, maybe 20, 10 to 20% of people were like, oh yeah, like, dude, this is super relevant and valid. Like we should probably sit with this, especially as white folk. And then there was this huge chunk of other people who were like, stop trying to like divide us. And, um, liberation is a choice and, unity, consciousness, we are all one, like, I don't see color, and, like, these people were, um, like, I love them, like, great folks, conscious folks, and yet, 2020 was bringing up all the shadow, right, like, it showed that you could be a spiritual, conscious, woke, whatever person and community, and yet, there's something you're holding on to, right, around shame and accountability that feels so scary to, like, call yourself out, call yourself in and say, damn, maybe I should switch this up. Maybe I, maybe I could be more um, accommodating to all these other people that aren't white who might feel uncomfortable by the things that I'm doing and saying. Um, and it's because... There, there was this um, surfacing of shame. And shame is such a powerful emotion, one of the most powerful emotions in my opinion. Um, and so I'm just trying to paint a picture of um, my experience in 2020. Like another example is I got so lit up by all this that again, I was feeling shame in my system, in my body that I, didn't know more, that I wasn't doing more, that I didn't know enough, that I could be more educated, that I wasn't, I just felt like here I am saying and believing that I'm an, like as close to an ally as possible. And that's another thing, when white folks are uh, self-proclaiming to be an ally versus actually just showing up in a way that is the action of allyship. You know, it's not a fucking badge that we get to proclaim. But here I am probably subconsciously believing that I'm some type of ally when really, what the fuck have I done, you know? And so one of the most basic, simplest things that I wanted to, to jump into was um, starting to consume more uh, black and brown and, and indigenous and Asian content. I 
started to, I, I just felt ashamed. Again, I'm just going to name it. I just felt ashamed that I didn't already. You know, we are so oversaturated in, in a white world in America, dude. And um, like, let me just clarify, like I am, I am not hating on Caucasians, bro. Like I am Caucasian. I'm just saying it is a fucking fact that it is, <sighs> we are overrepresented and people of color are underrepresented. And that makes, that, that upsets me, period. So I wanted to do something about it. And the most fucking basic shit I could do was to start following a bunch of accounts, for example, on my social medias. I, like, only consumed um, black TV shows and movies and books and um, uh, uh, music. And I was doing this just to fucking basically catch up. I just wanted to fully immerse myself and like, like I said, I felt behind and I just wanted to recommit to like, okay, you feel that you're, you know, you feel that you're, um, you know, in support, but how, how much have you actually showed up in your own personal life, right? So that was just like a personal um, way for me to like fucking catch up. So that's just me painting the picture of where I was at. So um, I was super just disheveled um, by everything that was going down. And I, um, yeah, so I started going to the protests. I started to consume different content. I started to hold like my community accountable. Um, and uh, so like other people in 2020, I, um, I had plans that got canceled, dude. So I had worked for months trying to get this job in a national park, and I had got the job. And right before it started and my lease ended, it got canceled due to COVID. And so now I'm like without a home, without a job, and instead of freaking out, I decided, okay, this is the perfect time to like take a little road trip and go camping and like center myself because I'm feeling fucking ungrounded with all the chaos that's going on around me. Um, and so while I was on the road, anytime I would drive through a major city, it was lit with, um, just like all this BLM energy of not necessarily protests. Um, although there were some, I remember like June, Juneteenth there was, um, and, uh, I see, I like seemed to, I like missed protests, right? Like I wasn't even, I wasn't on my way to any protests. I was just driving around um, and stopping at all these national parks because I had a national park pass and I was camping and just grounding and doing my thing. And uh, I made my way, you know, north from here and then over west and I was up in Seattle. And I remember in Seattle, it was where I saw a lot of the movement happening um, there was again. There wasn't any protests happening, but the the park that I happened to have my Airbnb at uh, was just covered in beautiful, like this uh, this garden, like a local community garden that was like for people in poverty and people of color, and 
uh, all these signs everywhere. And it was just so beautiful and so inspiring and so touching. Just the energy of change, right? Like the energy of compassion is so powerful. I mean, dude, from 1600 to 1800s, 4 million uh, Africans were brought to America in the transatlantic slave trade. 4 million, okay? And they became property of the white man in America <clears throat> for hundreds of years. Free slave labor. And our entire economy, our entire country was built off of this free slave labor. This is a history that people cringe away from, right? Like, it's just hard to listen to, it's hard to hear, and that's where that white fragility comes back in because it's like, like, a lot of white people feel shame when we're talking about that stuff, and they leave the room, they leave the conversation, they leave the chat, they don't want to be a part of it, they feel uncomfortable, and that's where, like, like this Liberation Day example I gave earlier, it was like, oh, we didn't mean to, so it doesn't matter. It's like, okay, you didn't mean to, and also, this is the impact that it's having on others, right? Intention versus impact. Your intent may, might have been something different, but what about the actual impact that it's having on people? Um, and this, <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna get so frazzled in this episode, but I'm gonna try my best to stay grounded with you guys. Um, yeah, dude, so, um, let's just continue and continue on with a little bit of history here. So, um, <laughs> it took hundreds of fucking years, um, for slavery to be addressed and the 13th Amendment was made, and it said no slavery except as a punishment for a crime. You know, that was literally written out, okay? So then suddenly, surprise, fucking surprise, when slaves were, quote, freed, suddenly the crime rate increases, right? We are now finding uh, fault with m menial actions such as loitering and suddenly you're a criminal. And so if someone can be arrested, now they can go right back into servitude. So this, this is that loophole. This is the American loophole of freedom. Um, and so although that was like, that amendment was written back in like 1865 or some shit. Now fast forward, we've only gradually um, it increased the mass incarceration over time. So we're hitting like, I don't know, let's see here. Uh, fucking by 1970s, <clears throat> there were 350,000 people in prison in America. So just let's break this down for a second. Uh, America is 5% of the population of Earth. Okay. And they make up, or we, we make up, 25% of the imprisoned people on earth are in America. Okay, that is fucking insane. So yeah, 1970s, in 1970, we had about 350,000 people imprisoned. Um, 10 years after that, 1980, 515,000 people were imprisoned. 
Five years later, so half, amount, half the amount of time later, another 250,000 increase. So 750,000 people were imprisoned in America. By 1990, 1 1.2 million fucking people are incarcerated in America. So, again, coming, let's rewind for a second there. Um, so, okay, slaves are freed, right? 13th Amendment. And then, with this little crime clause, uh, suddenly, there's all these fucking criminal, criminals, right? Suddenly, the black man is depicted um, as aggressive, um, as nefar nefarious, um, in all the old, like, blackface films and, like, all the, <clears throat> all the media from back then and still to this fucking day, let's be real. Um, black people and brown people, non-white people are overrepresented in the media as super predators and dangerous and criminal. And what I mean by overrepresented, I mean to the ratio of the crime rates, like FBI statistics, in comparison to how many times you'll see a black person versus a white person on your television or wherever is not represented correctly to the actual statistics and the actual ratios. Um, so I just want to pause for a second and say um, most of the murders in America are from white males. And while we're on the topic, I just want to say never in my entire three decades of existence have I personally ever been uncomfortable or threatened by a black man. I obviously know my, my own experience is my own experience, but I will say I have been <laughs> bullied, threatened, hit, attacked, verbally abused, mentally abused, um, sexually abused by countless I was going to say dozens, but honestly, I couldn't fucking tell you how many white men. I, I, I get it. I am my own person. I, I don't represent, the, you know, the world. I am just, this whole episode is just me talking about my personal fucking experience. And that is my experience. And again, let's just name the obvious here. Me speaking on stats like this make especially white humans uncomfortable. I get it. I get it. And that discomfort that you feel is a sliver, um, a sliver of the pain and discomfort that our siblings of color have fucking gone through for centuries um, and goddamn millennia. And it is a sliver of an offering of discomfort that you can, you can, you know, offer in exchange for what they've actually fucking been through. Oh, you feel uncomfortable about thinking about this? Imagine experiencing it. Okay. Uh, I mean, and, and with all that, you know, I can't say all that without naming, like, the war on drugs, right? Um, 
public enemy, number one, war on drugs, aka crime, right? War on crime, war on drugs, um, like Nixon and Reagan era. And we're cracking down and like the three strikes you're out with Clinton. Um, that shit changed America. So we went from, what was it? Uh, like, let's just say, you know, 1970s, there was... 19, in 1970, there was 350,000 people incarcerated, which is already a fuck ton, okay? And then after this three strikes, you're out, fucking, uh, you know, crackdown on crime, the war on drugs and all that, um, that, that crime bill that Clinton put out in 1994, we, <laughs> so in 1970, 350,000 people in prison in America, in 1994, so, you know, 25 years later, two million, two fucking million people in prison. Bro. Like, that's a good chunk of our population as a country, bro. Um, and, you know, these people are going to prison and if, it, if they're felons, now they can't vote. Surprise, surprise, right? Um, now they can't bear arms. Now they can't, you know, get certain jobs. Now they can't be a basic fucking citizen. They, they spend all this time uh, paying for their sins. And I, ugh, I swear to fucking God, so much of the time, these people aren't even fucking guilty. Or the crimes don't match the punishment. It's just... Another way to enslave non-white fucking humans and keep the economy going for free wage. Free. Not even low wage. We're over here talking about uh, how we, you know, export our, um, or sorry, import our, um, our goods and our, uh, you know, child labor. And we have all these concerns about the things that we're doing out there, when right here in our own fucking country, we are exploiting our own citizens for their entire lives nearly, um, working for free in heinous conditions. Heinous fucking conditions. As you guys know, this whole episode is about how I went to fucking jail. The conditions in jail are so fucking heinous. And I was only in there for the one day. Now, I was also arrested in the past, and I was in there for a few other days. I'm naming that because, A, we out here, <laughs> and I'm trying to be transparent about my own experiences. I'm over here in some basic-ass, like, local fucking jails and shit. What about people who are in federal prisons? Okay, day in and day out. Like, this is their for real lives and shit. Um, we're talking, like, concrete fucking slab floors, concrete fucking walls, no windows. We're talking, like, um, the, the toilets in the middle of the 10 by 10 foot room with bunk beds that have, like, one inch sleeping pads and you get a sheet as a fucking blanket. Um, bro, where the food is literally, like, inconceivable, like, what am I even fucking looking at? Like, you don't even know what you're fucking looking at? 
you get like one of those little trays that they serve you at school where there's like six little slots or whatever and like w- like little little like you know where you're to have like a little you're supposed to have like something in each little slot on your tray bro and like one of the slots is ketchup one of its mustards and then like some mystery ass meat just a slice of mystery meat and then one of the little one of the little squares is a fucking piece of bread so they just de- deconstructed a sandwich like this fucking disgusting sandwich and that they're making it look like as if it's this whole ass meal it's just disturbing dude like the whole fucking thing they're giving you like knockoff Kool-Aid and shit like full of red dye like just full of chemicals everything in there every fucking thing in there like I don't know there's other countries out there in my opinion that are obviously doing it right and they're, they're taking uh you know, especially drug offenses, especially fucking drug offenses. And they're seeing it as an opportunity for rehab. And the conditions of these uh, facilities are literally livable. They respect the people in there. American prison systems? Dude, you're a Google search away from fucking wanting to throw up. This shit is so fucked. And on top of all this, on top of all this, okay, so you're, you're saying, like, oh, the, the peop, you know, people in prison are, are working for free. Like, I hear you, but what does that even mean? I'm talking, like, I'm talking Victoria's Secret. I'm talking Walmart. I'm talking even Nintendo. I'm talking, bro, so many uh, American companies are out here exploiting Slave labor. Literally, it is slave labor. McDonald's, Starbucks, Aramark, that, 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 that's, a comp- that's like a food company that you often see on like uh, campuses, school campuses and whatnot. Aramark is known to be feeding prisons like the trash food, the leftover trash fucking food that has maggots and shit. Google fucking Aramark maggots prisons. Bro, it's... It is the biggest scam. We're out here, like, you know, on 4th of July and otherwise saying a land of the free. Meanwhile, 2 million of our citizens and who knows how many of uh, non-citizens are on the border, but... Millions of people are in cages in America. And aside from the physical harm, such as the food and the fluorescence and the lack of sleep, not just due to the conditions themselves, but the fact that they wake you up at 4 a.m. for breakfast of slime porridge and rotten apples and hopefully not expired milk, and the impact that all of that has on your nervous system physically, so you're in a constant state of dysregulation and fight or flight, um, but on top of that, you have the impact of mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, when you're being isolated and treated like a fucking animal, everything is, is in decline. Um, and so this is what happens when y- your freedom is taken away. You become a less, uh, a lesser version of yourself, which is, of course, easier to control 
um, which is probably why they do it. You're, you're trying to get your basic needs met, and so you're not going to be as articulate or able to express yourself or fight for yourself or uh, speak from a place of reasoning. Um, and then after all that time that you served, they spit you back out into the system with literally zero resources. You can't get a good paying job, if one at all. You can't vote uh, if you're a felon. You can't travel to certain places. You can't even sign a lease in most places, which might leave you houseless. Um, and they're, they're, so they're telling you that you're trying to earn your freedom back, but then at the end of the day, they give you a knockoff version of this freedom um, that most likely leaves you struggling to get those basic needs met. And it's in that place of scarcity that people typically do whatever they got to do to survive because they're literally in survival mode. And when we operate out of survival mode, we are more likely to commit crimes. And this is a very well articulated cycle on how we keep people in the prison, prison system. We're not actually giving them a fair chance at life here. <sighs> so here's one of those breather moments. Um, so while we, all, while we are taking a breath, uh, I just want to plug in, um, again, just some basic ways to show up, the bare minimum we can do to show up for our siblings of color is to educate ourselves, first and fucking foremost. It's like when someone's trying to become a vegetarian, the first thing they do is watch documentaries, right? Um, or read books and so on and so forth. It's what helps us like change synapses in the brain. So um, if you want to start your own personal journey on education around these issues, I have a few um, suggestions. Uh, let's start with you know very accessible movies and TV shows that are on all those streaming platforms. You could check out Just Mercy, which happens to also be a book. 13th, highly recommend 13th as a documentary on Netflix. When They See Us is, wow, a very potent uh, mini-series. I think that's also on Netflix. You can watch Dear White People, which is kind of like, so when I was doing that, uh, you know, so I was only consuming black content basically until I got arrested. And then after that, I was so fucked up, like in my nervous system that I had to like decompress and I watched fucking, uh, Queer Eye, <laughs> Queer Eye, because it's so fucking nourishing and heartwarming and I needed to regulate my fucking system. Um, but anyways, these were some of the, so these are some of the uh, films and whatnot that I was consuming and I would like uh, sometimes buffer some of the more intense ones like when they see us, for example, with something a little bit more lighthearted like Dear White People wonderful show. Uh, another one with comedic value is Woke, which is on Hulu. Fucking fantastic. Go watch that one. Um, I also love the show Pose, which offers a lot of like uh, visibility of intersectionality. So uh, a lot of, you know, LGBTQI people and sex work and just fucking fantastic show. Pose, which is on Netflix as well. Um, and then there's some books, of course, uh, and the, again, these are, this is just a fucking handful and I'm just talking from my personal lens, do your own research, you can probably even Google, 
anti-racist resources at this point, since it's been two years, I'm sure there's a, a whole list. Um, but some more that I can recommend book-wise is Just Mercy, which I mentioned is a movie, um, but also I, I like Hood Feminism. She also writes How to Be Anti-Racist, The Hate You Give is a classic, uh, You Can't Touch My Hair. So yeah, I just wanted to give you some resources there. All right, so what I'm getting at with all this is I was committed to educating myself, getting fired up. I, I have black family members. Like, I, I don't even need black family members to care, okay? Like, blood or not, every color of any human is my fucking family, and that's the whole point. That is the entire fucking point. Like, I, I literally can't even wrap my head around. Uh, I just can't even wrap my head around. And then with... <laughs> uh, with fucking Trump that year in 2020, just made it all worse. He was just saying things to the masses that really just really just ruffled the feathers of like white supremacy in America, as we all saw. Like, there's no fucking beating around that bush. It was fucking clear as day. Um, so let's go back to me being on the road, right? I'm on the road, I'm on my little, oh, healing fucking grounding um, road trip. And I, was, and I was riding around by myself. Um, and so I was riding down from Washington uh, into uh, fucking Oregon, and I passed through Portland, so I stop in Portland, you know, I get myself like a little veggie meal, and then I, it, there's a protest going down, now, that happened to be that same fucking week, where if you guys do recall, um, Trump sent in, sent in the feds to like dismantle the protests, and like, there was just, there were people getting snatched up in unmarked cars, and it was just like the most intense. But if you guys know me at all, I am like I, I've grown up in so many chaotic instances that like chaos doesn't, uh, you know, push me away. Like I'm I I can handle myself quite well. So I still went to the protest. Now again, let's. Let's reflect. When I was at these handful of protests in Denver, they were literally during the day, like, oh, we're marching. We have our signs. There's people singing. There's like, it, it was very, um, like, wholesome. When I got to Portland, I, I definitely wasn't prepared for my experience. So I, I head over there, and um, it was, like, downtown. There was a little park and, like, a building where everybody was around, and... Um, there were, there were speakers. There were people rapping, dancing. There were drummers. There were people with all their signs. That week there was the Wall of Moms. So like, now over in Portland, they had been, they had been protesting for weeks by that time. Weeks, weeks, weeks on end. Like literally haven't stopped every single fucking day. Now in Denver, it was like, you know, once or tw a few times a month they were hosting, um, protest, but it wasn't like literally every day um, over there in Portland. So I ride up and like uh, my first thing that I noticed is that the protest was at night. Like it was already dark by the time that they, they were protesting. Um, but yeah, I, I showed up and 
there were, like I said, it was all familiar at that point to me. Like, oh, people, you know, in the streets with their signs and they're chanting and, like, there was speakers and, like, it all felt familiar to me. Now, the this court building that they were all huddled around had huge fences around the building. And... Uh, People were all protesting outside of this, I guess, I think it was like a federal court building. Um, and suddenly, just like this, out of fucking nowhere. So by the way, I'm over here sitting by some tree. Like, again, I'm out here alone. I'm just chilling by some tree. I don't even think I had a sign or anything. I was literally just sitting there. Um, I think I was like filming or like taking pictures for social media or whatever on my iPhone, just super casual. Boom, you hear crash, you hear crash, boom, bang. And I mean, I did see that there were like these flash of lights and there was like suddenly smoke or whatever, but I had never experienced uh, like pepper spray bombs and like mace and like tear gas. Like I personally had yet to experience that in the flesh. So all of a sudden there's like little can rolls next to me and starts like billowing smoke, but I didn't <laughs> exactly know what it was, and some someone ran up and was like, move, move, go, go, and I was like, oh, shit, and like, a little too late, and by the time I like, you know, ran off, I had been just blasted with tear gas and pepper spray, and like, I couldn't see, and like, I was coughing, and like, all this shit, well, some random dude came up and was like, gave me some milk of magnesia, and like, help, some water to like, get it off of my face and stuff, um, and I was like, damn, they're not playing out here, this shit is crazy, like, because that was coming from the, the uh, across the fence where the cops and the feds and the shit were. Um, so basically, at just a certain hour of the night, I guess, they just decide, okay, fuck these people, fuck these protesters, and they blast them down with those little, those fucking bombs. And I say bombs because, dude, they literally are like, they flash, they spread, and they make this huge fucking noise. Now, I have videos... I literally have videos. You can Google it yourself. Google, you know, Portland protests 2020. Um, because I, I've not, like, like I told you in the beginning of this, I, I was silenced, bro. So I don't have a lot of this content up and around. And it's honestly just traumatic to share. And, like, I don't even want to be, like, I don't want all that spotlight on me because... Okay, I'll just continue where we're at. Um, so, yeah, they start throwing bombs and shit. Now, these people out here, like, again, I'm just strolling through on a fucking road trip. I don't have any gear or anything. I'm just literally just a passerby. Um, but the people out here in, in the front lines, they literally call it the front lines, just like war. They have helmets on. They have, like, gas masks. They have, like, these uh, shields, like, plastic shields over their face. Uh, not to mention all the COVID masks, of course. And then um, people had, like, plastic cardboard and all sorts of fucking, like, actual shield things that they were holding on their arms and stuff. I'm over here like, what the fuck is going on? It literally looks like a war. Um, but when all that shit started to go down, I was like, oh, this is why. They're trying to, like, dink off those little bomb things and whatever and, like, shit like that. So... I got the experience and I was like, damn, this is nuts out here. It's a whole nother cup of fucking tea. Um, but I went to a friend's house and I just, I spent the night there or whatever. 
the following day, I was supposed to meet up with another friend along the road, and she had to cancel. So I was like, oh, well, might as well go back to the protest while I'm here. You know, this is fucking legendary. This is like, this is history right here. So, um, and again, like I said, I felt like a civic duty as a white bodied human to show fucking up, right? Like, yeah, it's scary. Also, this is the bare minimum I can fucking do, right? So I did show up the second night and um, again, they had music, there was like dance circles, there was drums, there was speakers, there was like just vibes, dude, like vibes. And again, like clockwork, bing, bang, boom, bitch, like, <laughs> is popped off and there's like all these, now that second night I will say that I decided to get my snorkel out of the trunk because I was so fucked up by the tear gas the night before that I wanted to try to protect my face a little bit better and I had one of those 360 snorkels, the one that covers your entire face, not just your nose and your eyes. Uh, so I thought that it would be helpful. Um, but to paint a picture, I was literally wearing like harem pants, Crocs, and a snorkel, okay? Like I just, it's just funny to me because they later tried to paint me out like I was some domestic terrorist who was just like out here like trying to start shit. When really I'm just like this random camper. <laughs> anyway, so that's night two. That's my ensemble. Um, and again, I'm like, I'm like doing a live on, you know, Instagram for people and I'm like taking pictures and I'm chanting and like literally the chant was peaceful protest. It was literally what was being said. Um, but yeah, like clockwork, these shots are being, like, these bombs are being shot out, and like, it's just chaos, there's like, the whole fucking, the whole entire, uh, block is so smoked out with this gas that you literally can't see right in front of you. Everyone's has to run away, like, 20, 30 feet to, to even try to see and breathe, like, it's so fucking intense, like, holy shit, holy fucking shit, dude, um, but like, so I'm there, um, I, like, I, ha I, I had a hotel that evening for my road trip, right? Um, and I'm, I'm hanging out at the, the, the protest for as long as I could. Um, I don't even remember what time it was before I was like, all right, like, I'm out of here. Like, a, you know, I'm tired, I'm done. Um, so now I'm walking literally away from the, the uh, building, okay? away from the park towards my car, which was right there. Um, like, literally just, I was so close to my car, dude. <clears throat> so anyways, I start walking towards my car, and just out of fucking literally nowhere, huge fucking federal officers are snatching me up. Um, I'd, five of them, I believe it was five of them. Five massive fucking fully armed feds are attacking me, bro, and... I will say, though, when you see the videos, um, because there were lots and lots of videos, um, <laughs> Jesus fuck, I, uh, I will give myself a pat on the goddamn back because here I am, 130 pound, five foot three, little ass girl in Crocs, and these five fucking cops couldn't get me to the ground. But that's, that's how you know that a general, like, they say that adrenaline pumping through your veins is like no other and people be lifting cars and shit when like their loved ones are in danger, you know what I mean? I felt that, you know what I mean? Cause like, 
here these fully grown men are like all attacking me at once. And for s somehow I was like able to hold my ground and like it took them a minute to get me on the ground and shit. Um, and my Crocs are flying and my mask is getting, oh man, it was, it was the most surreal shit, dude. Like when I try to think about myself in that moment, it, I, it just was so like HD movie vibe. Like you're like, what in the actual fuck? And so I was saying stuff like, I was so confused. I literally was so fucking confused. No one gave, read me my Miranda rights. No one told me why they were coming at me. No one told me I was even being arrested. I'm just being pummeled to the fucking ground by a grown man. And um, I'm over here saying shit like, um, don't touch me. What are you doing? Get off of me. Um, why are you doing this? Why did you pick me? Uh, all these things. Um, I, but uh, I was not having it, bro. Like I was not, I was this close to fucking driving away and y'all just going to come at me like that. So I was like trying my best to be like assertive and like not allow this to happen to me, but that wasn't fucking helping anything. But basically me being loud as fuck, all these people who were also leaving, God, I don't know. So all these people all of a sudden turn around and this like, I lift my face up from the fucking cement covered in gravel and fucking pepper spray. And there's like 40, 50 people in a circle around me. Like they're telling the cops to let me go. They're telling the cops that they're hurting me to get off me. Like all these people are recording me. There's like, there's literally reporters suddenly. And I'm just on the ground like, I just, I could not believe it. But, and yet I was still able to like continue trying to assert myself of like, why are you doing this? Get off of me. Um, at one point they were smothering my fucking face into the ground. Uh, that's why you, if you see the pictures and videos, I have like blood on my face into the gravel that was already covered in pepper spray. So now, and this, all this fucking mason shit is in the, the air, let alone that, because they're still tossing shit, flexing their power or whatever. Um, and meanwhile, I had one cop, literally his entire body weight, leaning into my left arm, pinning me to the ground, which just so happens to be the same arm that I, um, I had a previous injury on from like this car accident. And then the other one who was pressing his entire weight into his knee, into the middle of my back, like pinning my lungs into the ground. After a while, me trying to be like, trying to assert myself and be like, why is this happening? Get off of me. Like, why did you choose me? And like trying to like have a normal conversation. I'm like losing breath, losing ability to fucking inhale. And I'm like, I can't fucking breathe. This guy like re-pins re me down into the ground. Let's just say I walked away with uh, 28 bruises and lacerations, and I'm still injured in the left arm uh, to this fucking day. Bro. And just, I just want to top it off, bro. I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I didn't, I wasn't able to get, um, like, physical, like, medical assistance because of COVID. They literally wanted me to do an ER on uh, online, online ER over the phone type of shit. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, okay, okay. 
Um, so this whole shit is going down. There's like at one point, um, you know, and it's just like this hype, heightened experience for me. Like I'm just hearing all these voices. Keep someone's like, what's your name? And I'm like, no, I'm like it's just like insane. It is so insanely. It doesn't, it just feels so surreal. Oh, but I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Um, during my, you know, during that summer, when I was feeling all this fervence of like, this is our duty. Like we need to stand up. This is on, our, this is on us. This is on me. Like I want to stand up for this cause. Um, I literally remember saying out loud to like whoever it was, friends, community, I would literally die for this cause. I said that because I meant that. And what I meant by that was I am privileged to even be alive. I am privileged to even be born in this body to have all the advantages that I have. And it would be a fucking like, I would rather it be me than another fucking sibling of color. They've already been mass murdered over the centuries and shit. Like if it push came to shove, I would rather it be me. I don't remember the conversation exactly, but I do remember saying something like that. So when I was all being smashed into the fucking ground and all that jazz, I was like, oh, damn, be care like, not be careful what you wish for, because it's not like I wished it or whatever. I was more like just observing how powerful um, our convictions can be, because I'm definitely a believer in like manifestation. I'm definitely a believer in um, our thoughts create our reality. And so I was like, oh, damn, here I am in this exact position, right? And I also want to say, how many fucking people, non-white people, would be in that exact same fucking position being pinned to the ground, but it's on their neck and they fucking die? Or they don't even get the privilege of being pinned to the ground because they were shot. <sighs> I was privileged to even be being smashed into the ground. You see what I'm saying? Like, all these other hundreds of people per year are being murdered by cops. Like, so another reason why all this hit hella home for me was Elijah McClain, who was a Colorado resident, when he was murdered, okay, that... That just made it even more... It hit home, if you will, because it was home. In fact, I literally lived in the same city as Elijah. So this, whew, uh, this, this really hit home for me. So um, Elijah was like a 23-year-old, super peaceful. Like his whole community loved him. He was a massage therapist. Sweet kid. Uh, minding, his own, minding his own fucking business. Uh, was at a gas station, I believe. He was wearing a ski mask because we live in fucking Colorado. Um... And he was walking home, I believe he was like a block or two from his fucking house. And someone called, uh, called him in saying that he looks sketchy. Some dumb shit like this. So cops roll up on him, not just one cop, like a whole gang of fucking cops, which is of course going to be disorienting, especially as a black human in fucking America. Um, they roll up on him and one of the cops puts him in a chokehold that was actually illegal. Um, and he, he went unconscious, he was vomiting, um, by the time that the medics showed up, they injected him with a huge dose of ketamine, um, and before the ambulance took him away, he was already considered dead, uh, 
And I have plenty fucking more to say about Aurora PD and uh, their ethics. Um, there was like, like satirical photos taken of um, these cops, like the actual ones who were there that night, mocking the chokehold in front of like one of Elijah's like memorials, um, which not the murder itself, but it was that picture that eventually got um, that particular cop fired. But it took a lot, it took a lot, a very long time before any justice was served. Um, not to say that that, that is justice served, because honestly, fuck it isn't. Total reform, if not fucking defunding or abolishment is justice. All right, let's move back. Let's move back to uh, the arrest. So um, I'm face down on the ground. I am, you know, screaming, asking for, you know, clarity on the situation while being kneeled on by all these federal officers. Meanwhile, there's other federal officers surrounding me with guns pointed out at the crowd because the crowd, uh, I remember seeing a video later, there was a guy who like tried to like, run in and kind of like check, like check one of the cops to get him off of me. And, and then there was this other woman, Maureen, um, I later found out. She, well, so now I'm face down. There's all these people like saying, get off of her, you're hurting her, like all this shit. And there is one woman in particular, her name ends up being Maureen, who lifted my head and like, uh, like moved the hair out of my face. Maybe she was wiping blood off at the time. I don't even know. Um, but this woman you know, was coming from a compassionate lens, of course, and, like, the cops, like, chuck her off. She, like, falls backwards, and I'm pretty sure, like, one of her legs, like, I think I saw in a video, because obviously my face is, like, I'm not actually seeing it in in real time, but uh, I believe, like, her, her, uh, a leg hits one of the cops, and then after that, boom, she's being arrested as well, um, and so, there finally hits a point where we're all, we're like, I'm standing up now and like, there's someone random trying to help me put like, follow the cops and put my shoes on for me and everything. Um, and that we're being ushered away. Um, now, as we're being ushered to the, to the back of that building, like that uh, justice building or whatever it was, <laughs> LOL at the name. Um, so reporters are following obviously and like filming the situation. And like, I later also saw a video of so as we are being escorted and people are filming, someone, again, cops throw another fucking tear gas bomb right there, and the one of the reporters kicks it out of the way because she is walking, you know what I'm saying? And I, I don't know if it was like that particular, but it was like right after she did that, you could see in the video, cops pummel her and arrest her. Um, and... Uh, I mean, honestly, it's divine because now this woman ended up being a local reporter who had been on site like every fucking day. And her wisdom of just covering this issue and what she had seen and experienced and all that uh, was 
more than helpful and helped ground me even. And her insight just made me just relax a bit because it gave me insight because that when I got in there, no one fucking talked to me. They literally ignored me and treated me like I was fucking FBI wanted criminal type of vibe. Okay. Um, and so anyway, they take us into this garage. They, they, fa- they put us facing the wall. Um, they, they, they basically attach this chain around our, um, torso like and like so they clip the handcuffs to the center of the chain at the torso and you have ankle cuffs and so you're literally basically hogtied <laughs> I mean I'm like laughing I guess if you want to call this laughing I'm literally more in disbelief but like um it's it's a milestone to be able to think back on this with a little bit of comedic relief and I'm not it's not even funny like it's literally just unbelievable um so that alone was an, a strange position to be in for literally like a dozen plus hours um because they said they were going to take it off now so there was the justice building and then across the street was a jail and we were supposed to eventually get transported over there they kept telling us that but we never actually did over there's where you could get like your phone calls and like f- regular food and like um medical attention and stuff. So when I got there, I asked for medical attention and believe it or not, uh, they, like I said, they ignored me. They literally acted like I didn't have a voice. Um, the only time that they did speak to me was when they took me into this little private, like interrogation cell thing with a plexiglass and, um, they pulled one of those, we know what you did, fess up to us, tell us everything, like, um, and they were basically trying to claim that I was there assaulting um, at the protest with malicious intent, um, with military-grade uh, laser beams standing around trying to, like, blind cops and, like, assault. The, the charge was assault on a federal officer or whatever. And I'm over here like, well, First of all, I'm like, yeah, that absolutely was not me. No. Um, But then when they started to, basically they use fear tactics. Um, Anytime you're dealing with a cop, there's some level of sorcery (laughs) of some some level of them trying to fuck with you and uh, get you to say things that would benefit them. And unbeknownst to them, I had read this article over the summer during my little self-education phase. Um, It was called Confessions of an Ex-Bastard Cop. You know, that whole ACAB situation, um, all cops are bastards, is this little... um, hashtag saying situation that you'll see all over the world. When I was traveling, I saw a cab spray painted fucking literally every single country. But anyways, it's this, there was this long essay that a cop, an ex-cop wrote, and he just highlighted all the things that you should say, shouldn't say, avoid, like gave all the dirty deeds on like what cops uh, say and what they are trained to say and do to fuck you over. Um, And it was an extremely telling article um, that I read, I think, twice, actually. Huge article. And I'm going to definitely link it in the show notes because it's so um, informative. So anyway, in that article, I, of course, read, do not talk to cops. Plead the fucking fifth. They're trying to get you to say shit. You know what I mean? Like, they're trying to bend 
uh, the truth and flip the narrative. So that's what I did. I was just like, literally don't know what you're talking about. I plead the fifth, basically. And they were pissed, as they typically are when you do that or you know your fucking rights. Um, and they're like, after I basically did that, they were like, well, that, let's just, well, we tried our best to, to help you out. Just know that you're fucked. You're the worst case in this building. Like, you're not going to uh, have fun in here because you're not going to be getting out. You're not going to have bail. You're a felon, baby. All this shit. And I just tried not to take it to heart because of what I knew but I left that cell being like god damn what the fuck am I really like what even happened like I'm a felon now like what the fuck uh, I went back into the cell with Grace and she was like remain calm remain calm like this is what they do don't worry about it we have so much fucking footage of what actually happened like you're you're fine and um she just fed me all this knowledge uh, and honestly, I could hardly remember now, you know, it's two years ago at this point, but God damn, she was my guardian angel. Uh, this woman was by my side the whole time. Um, and then because she was a reporter, when she got out, she memorized the spelling of my name. She contacted people on my socials, which just so happened to be literally the perfect fucking person, a family member that I've actually never met. Thank you so fucking much. Um, who just stayed on the fucking, she like called, she called the, uh, you know, she called the building, she found me, she stayed on the phone for hours to hear my arrange, uh, arraignment, she updated people on social media for me, um, another guardian angel, like, wow, because to be honest, I don't have other family members, you know, like parents or um, whoever, who would have done that for me, so it was, again, there just kept being sweet little signs from above that although the situation was out of this world intense, it was like giving me peace that things were gonna be okay. Um, I, the fact that I was even had the privilege of being in a fucking cell to be safe and mostly unharmed while other fucking people of color, black, brown, you name it, human beings are literally being killed on their way home or on their way to their grocery store or playing with a plastic gun or holding a bag of Skittles. Like, people are out here dying for no reason. And I have the privilege of at least you know, observing my situation from a jail cell, right? Um, so that, that was the way that I was perceiving it. It's like, yeah, this fucking sucks. Also, it's privilege for me to even be fucking sitting here. So that was powerful. And I also had thoughts of like, I'd rather it be me than someone else. I'd rather it be me than any person of color. I'd rather it be me than someone who's less mentally equipped to handle this. Um, I'd rather it be me... Um, another aspect of it being me was when I got out of there, bro, literally every person I ever met in my fucking life, people literally, I saw someone hit me up that I met when I was in like, uh, where was that? Malta, like an island over a Mediterranean fucking island. I met, uh, a Swedish girl there who messaged me the next day saying that it was on the front fucking page. 
over there. Um, anyone from any school that I'd ever been to, literally strangers, like, the publicity was one of the worst parts. To wake up the next day with not over, not over, not just everybody that I knew had contacted me and my tags from around the goddamn world on my social media, but also my information was leaked, aka I was doxxed, and like my information was publicly spread um, with intention, and all these alt-right super Trump freaks who um, thought that I deserved that um, and thought, like, put me in the, the box of, literally they were calling me domestic terrorist, Antifa, like, blah, blah, all these crazy shit. They doxxed me, and I was being contacted on every single email I ever made, every social media that I had. I was being called fucked up shit. Literally disgusting, disturbing shit, dude. Um, and uh, I was even getting verbally called. I literally talked to someone on the phone who was telling me how they were going to come into my house at night and do very explicit things to me, uh, both sexually and physically harming in you know, other ways, um, death threats and so on and so forth. I had to change my number that I had for literally 14 years. Um, it was some shit. And then the, those same people, they also like started to share the tags, like the handles of my friends who were into social justice. And I had to ask my friends to put their shit on private because I've had to be private ever since, bro. Um, although maybe after this release, I'll co I'll come back online and be a fucking public bitch because fuck you to literally anyone who hears this, who has some shit to say, because honestly, I ain't afraid of you. And I honestly, I'm not even afraid to die. Like y'all just be on some fuck shit, you weak ass bitch. Um, anyway. So yeah, they were fucking with my friends. Um, it was just a disturbing bro. Like. It's one thing to have that like experience of like being assaulted by fucking federal agents and then my experience that was in the jail um, and then like that's its own thing but and then the aftermath of that but then to have these other motherfuckers prolong my experience in these other ways bro like they literally fought for the following year they were harassing me uh, on different uh, platforms They've died off for the most part at this point, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if they, like, you know, they fucking get off on this shit. Come at me, bro. Anyway, so, yeah, um, that was the only time they talked to me is when they were trying to harass me in that room. And, uh, you know, they said this whole, like, you're the worst case in here situation, which actually did kind of get me spooked. Grace tr tried to tell me, no, they're just fucking with you, but... At 5.30 a.m., so now we had been in there for, like, I don't know how long, like, six, seven hours or whatever. They came in and released the two others, but not me. That's when I was like, word, maybe this is a fuck shit situation. They were supposed to unfucking cuff me in my hogtie at that point, because, like, with my arms like that, I couldn't even fucking go to the bathroom. And so the cell, so the cell looked like this. Um... It's just a holding cell, like there's, which almost are sometimes worse because at least in the other type of jail cells, you 
have like it almost is like I have my little bed and whatever this is just a little, little literally holding cell so it just looks like the bars and then a cement bench um and cement floor and then there's like a small little like two three feet partition in the center that kind of blocks uh like up to your shoulder um and a little fucking silver toilet behind there and there's a water fountain <laughs> attached to the uh fucking water tank of the toilet bro and there's no trash cans or anything in there I was menstruating like going through it that day uh, body aches and pain wise Um, so for example when hours 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 like let's say like I was there for I believe 18 hours or so I'd say like 15 hours in they brought me in some nasty ass tray of like like a warm box of vegetables and like a piece of stale white bread or whatever um, I'm like no appetite for that shit. I use that little warm box of veggies to like use as a heating pad on my womb because yeah, bitch had cramps. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, I couldn't like change any of my, uh, they didn't have, uh, feminine products or even a garbage can in the fucking place. It, it was just, I'm just trying to paint the picture of you uh, for you of how, um, yeah, I get it. Jail is supposed to be uncomfortable or whatever, but it doesn't fucking have to be for one. People are already being stripped of their freedoms. Like, why does it have to literally be, dude, jail cells, most jail cells, you wouldn't even want your pet to fucking hang out in a jail cell. It's literally, it's abusive, bro. Like it's fucking abuse. It's literally fucking abuse. Like, I'm hogtied, like, laying on a foot. And by the way, they took my shoes for whatever reason, literally rubber Crocs, even though Grace had her fucking shoes on, so that's confusing. But they took my shoes, and so I'm literally covered in all these fucking cuts and scratches. Um, open wounds is what I'm trying to get at. Bare feet in a nasty-ass public jail cell where I'm talking, there's, like, crusty puke and blood, and, like, I was still bleeding, so I'm, like, leaving blood. Like, there was just, it was disgusting. And I asked for medical assistance, and they didn't give me any. By the time I was finally um, booked, so when they book you is when people can actually find out where you are. And remember, this is during that week when people are being snatched up in unmarked cars. So people were going nutty trying to find me. But luckily, when Grace left and she had my name and she found family, um, thank you, Lori, again, bless your soul, and she was able to update friends and shit, that is, she was able to tell them, yes, Noelle's in there, this is why she hasn't been updated in the system, though, and so people were at least able to take a breather there, because when I got out and I saw the tags on Facebook, people were like, where the fuck is Noelle Mandolfo, blah, 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 they were going crazy, <laughs> Uh, pausing for the cause is just thank you all. Thank you all for the support. Um, and and that, that's something that I was going to say back then, and I kind of, I guess, dropped off of that, is I am grateful that it was me because I, I'm someone who has moved a lot. So I, you know, I was, I was raised in California, but I also lived in Florida for a hot minute, and then now I live in Colorado. But on top of that, I've traveled to many countries, backpacked around the world, and so... By me getting arrested that day, I had kind of a ripple effect 
um, because when it's someone you, like, you see these arrests and you see this shit happening, but when it's someone you know, there's a fucking far greater impact, and so I, like, I'm glad it was me because I was able to have that little ripple effect of people waking the fuck up and caring a little bit more when it's someone you know on all these little communities that I've connected with all over the world, and so I feel like that, that's one positive that came from it is that, like, it being me helped shake shit up a little bit more and bring up a little bit more awareness. Um, so, um, yeah. Every time I tried to, like, ask questions, they would, ugh, that nasty fucking misogynistic, holier-than-thou, like, power trip that they got going on, they just, like, looked at me like I was a piece of fucking shit, dude. Um, Something I found super weird is that they had my phone, not with my stuff. They, like, literally had it up there. And, like, when I finally was leaving, like, at the end of the day, they had to, like, go get my phone from, like, an office. And, like, a SIM card wasn't in it. And it was, like, all this sketchy shit. I eventually just got a new phone, changed my number and everything. Because I was just, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, there's, this is deranged. Um... But, yeah, they had me in there that whole time without giving me a call um, and, like, giving me a public defender or whatever. But at one point when they were transferring the girls out of the cell, they had to put me in a um, holding they, – they had to take me out of the room for whatever reason. And they put me back in that little, like, discussion room with the plexiglass. Well, as I'm sitting in there waiting for them to transfer me back, I overhear through the wall – Another public, someone else, a public defender talking to someone else, another um, arrestee. He's giving him all this helpful information. And I'm over here like, what the fuck? Why am I not getting helpful information? So I hear through the wall, the guy's like, oh, do you have any more uh, questions? And the guy says no. And then I'm over here like, me, I have a question. Help me out. And bless his heart, the public defender comes over there. He didn't even hear, like, he didn't even have my information yet, but when I told him who I was and what had happened, he said, oh, yeah, I, I saw what happened to you. You got your ass beat. And I was like, okay, word. So the word is out. <laughs> um, but he helped me, like, contact the hotel that I had been staying at because my checkout hello was, like, I missed my checkout. All my shit was there. <sighs> um, my car was still on the street. Um, I was worried about my car being towed because it was literally downtown right there on the park, in the park. Um, and he helped me call my father, which we do not see eye to eye on many things, and we had just gotten into a fight. We had just gotten into a fight about, like, that we already have, obviously, our own family shit, which is, goes deep and hard and long, but on top of that, <laughs> we don't see eye to eye at all politically, typically, and we had literally just gotten to an argument, like, few days before that was really intense uh, and it was just sandwiched between our familial stuff because like I hadn't seen him in years and I was like really trying to like I'm always trying to be like staying connected you know what I mean and like despite the differences but um because I was on the road trip I wanted to stop and see him and he just wasn't like making it happen and it was really hurting my feelings so I was already triggered about that and then we got in this argument about fucking politics and there was this huge fucking blowout and I'm on like the side of the road because I'm on my road trip bawling crying and I literally was like I'm gonna change my never my number and we're never gonna talk again how do you feel about that like that type of panic attack energy and then literally three days later ring ring he's the only number I fucking know 
And I have to call my dad and be like, yo, this is what fucking happened. And he is obviously not happy at all. Um, and remember that I was in between leases. So um, I didn't have a house, didn't have an address. And I had to use the only address I had, which was my father's address. And so basically I literally was like forced in onto my dad's um, doorstep after all this drama and trauma and like negative energy, um, like I said, with my family and whatever. And, you know, what's super crazy is they, like, they, they put me on jury duty, like, within 72 hours just to make sure that I would go to that house, just to make sure that it was a real address and all that. So here I am, knock, 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 show up to my fucking dad's house, haven't seen him in years, and honestly, we just had so much already unfinished business, so much other turmoil, then to add this on top of it, it was just a fucking shit show. All I wanted was to be taken care of. All I wanted was to just feel safe after something so um, jolting had happened to me. And literally within minutes of arriving, my dad was invalidating my experience, to put it lightly. And I literally just picked my bags up again and just started walking to the door. I'm like, nope, nah, nah. Because I would put up with, you know, emotional and, like, I would put up with that shit in the past, but I was just in no fucking place to be dealing with that shit. And I just picked up my shit and started walking to the car. I'm like, I am not doing this. Nope, goodbye, leaving. And thank thankfully, that softened him, and he actually followed me out there and got my bag and told me to come back in, and he was sorry, and so on. Now, I want to just also throw this into the mix is, like I said, tumultuous relationship, hadn't seen him in years, lots of fucking differences. Well, those two ended up being two weeks that I stayed there. I... We had so many major breakthroughs in that short amount of time that I spent there, all I ever wanted was a father-daughter relationship, like a healthy dynamic. Like I said, he's the only parent I have. I don't really have family. And there, don't get me wrong, it was, it was intense, like, I'm talking like five-hour sit-downs for like three days in a row. But once we got through a lot of it, like we were connecting more than we ever had in years. And gosh, when I think about that right now, I'm like, damn, I wish it. Um. barriers were broken down and points I was like holding him in my arms while he was crying and he was apologizing and <sighs> major strides were made and what I'm trying to share is I remember saying thinking to myself and saying and sharing with friends that if if anything this arrest led to this healing and that's enough for me. Like, this is instrumental in the progress with my family and 
It meant so much to me. Um, and I wish it was still like that, but out of sight, out of mind. And by the time, you know, a year later, two years later now, um, it actually, it, it did, it did connect us for a long while there. But like I said, out of sight, out of mind. And I don't know. It's like when your daughter's there in the flesh, you're like, oh yeah, this is my baby girl. Like, that's my flesh and blood. Like, I love this person. But when they're not around, maybe it's easier to be like, I don't know. See me as like the other side, the enemy or whatever the fuck. And we, I wish I could say that there was like, continued happy ending on that part but we're still navigating the ups and downs of family (sighs) take just a minute here to regroup thanks for holding the space but yeah they didn't give me any medical they didn't give me legal advice. They didn't give me medical attention. They didn't. They didn't even fucking book me until a literal hour before um, my release. And in order to get released, I had to go to court. But because it was COVID, it was a Zoom call, and um, of course the DA tried to fuck with me on there. But that uh, public defender who had my back popped up on my uh, my little trial and my arraignment and just came in hot with facts and was, because they were like, we don't even have an address for this person. We don't even have this for this person. We see she's been in trouble in the past. She's this, she's that. And the defender came up and I was like, first of all, that was 10 years ago. It's totally irrelevant. Um, What? She's eradicated everything. Um, Second of all, you don't have an address for her because you didn't book her until like 10 minutes ago. So here's her address, here's her info and stop fucking around and, it was, it was a beautiful sight to see. Uh, and then I was released, and when I was, they had, like, the ACLU chilling on the corner, giving out waters and, like, little, like, info packs and, like, snack packs and, like, letting you use their phone if you needed. Like, just these beautiful Portland ACLU people. Um, it was a blessing to see. And another blessing was I got to my car. Still fucking there. No ticket, nothing. Like, I couldn't fucking believe it. So, like I said, I kept having these sweet little moments that I felt like angels were with me, and I was just, trust, trust, trust this process. This is intense. Trust it anyway. We got this. Um, and uh, had to drive over to there to that hotel, and they, they, they were pissed. They were like, we, got, we threw out all your shit. Why would you abandon this place? Like, I had already paid for it, so I don't know why they were so mad at me, but... Um, I start crying. I'm like, dude, I just, like, all this shit just went down, the protest. Like, I literally just got out of jail. Like, please tell me you sold my shit. And they took me to this weird back room, and all my shit were in trash bags. And, but I was able to retrieve it, thankfully. Um, and then I went to a friend's house to seek refuge for the night, thank God. Um, but then I made this stupid-ass decision, a couple stupid decisions. Because, like, I live in... Um, a state in Colorado where weed's legal, I was pretty pretty habitually smoking weed, I believe, at the time. 
Um, so when I got to her house and she offered if I wanted to smoke weed to relax, I said yes. Then I had another fucking crazy anxious panic attack, stayed up all fucking night watching literally every video of myself that was posted, went through all the posts, just re-stimulated the fucking wound, made myself anxious as hell, and I'll tell you what, I didn't smoke weed again for literally months and months and months after that because of what, like, I was like, oh, hell no, like, I am, I am triggered, <laughs> triggered as fuck. Um, I was able to go to a um, emergency room because, I, like I said, all the hospitals were closed due to COVID, which was insane to me. Um, but, yeah, I was able to document all the, like, take pictures of all the bruises and get x-rays and all the lacerations and whatnot. Um, yeah, and just get proof, you know. <sighs> Let's see. So they were trying to originally set me up with assault on a federal officer, even though I literally never even touched one. Um, and resisting arrest on a federal officer. So the, because it was federal, they were going to be felonies. So I was just in the cell, of course, being like, oh, fuck me, bro. Like, this is not good. Like, this is super not good. But by the time at the end of my um, little hearing thing on Zoom, they were already not even knocked down, because I'm assuming, let's just go ahead and say that when the cops were telling me that shit, they were lying, which is what cops do. Um, so they were just trying to spook the fuck out of me to say shit that, you know, to try to talk. Um, so anyway, when I found out that they were actually misdeme misdemeanors, I was already thinking like, hell yeah, because in my mind, let's say the worst came to worst and I was convicted of these um, crimes or whatever, um, it would at least be better for them to be misdemeanors versus felonies. So when I was already walking out with uh, being you know, the charges were misdemeanors, I was like, oh, okay, this is actually a major leap in the right direction. So that was a positive. Um, so I was assigned a lawyer. In fact, a team of lawyers, public defenders, and Oregon just really took care of me in that way. Um, but they didn't contact me for like a, f a couple days or something like that. And in between that time, I was hit up by so many reporters. And the reporter that I was with in the cell told me to speak my truth and to like share my story. And I resonated with that. So I did, only for my lawyers to be like, to contact me later and be like, shut the fuck up. And I was like, oh, fuck. Okay. And that was the beginning of my silencing um, where I, like, I literally, they were telling me shit. Like, they had to scour my, my, um, all my social medias just to get an idea of what I look like online um, because they say they said things like things that I've watched how long I've watched them I don't even have to like it or comment on it for the content that we are consuming on social medias is logged bro and that shit can be used against us in so many ways and uh, so that was just a frightening uh, aspect of all this as well just knowing that literally everything that I've ever done or do in the future can be held against me um, in this federal trial. So um, I went from being quite a vocal person on social media to completely just taking a fucking back seat. In fact, I still have like a zero algorithm on socials because I um, 
took like a year-long hiatus, basically. Um, let's see. From there, I went back to Colorado and moved into a new place. And within a week of picking up my puppy, I call her a puppy, but she was a full-grown adult dog. <laughs> she had just turned 14 that year, um, but I had left her with a friend while I was on the road trip. And when I got back, within a week, she passed away. And obviously, needless to say, everything around me was just fucking crumbling. And I had no sense of, like, safety and groundedness. And uh, I couldn't speak on what happened to me. I didn't really have a support group. I didn't have a family net. Shit was rough. Um, and then there was the whole COVID and the lockdown and my job and everything that I've shared already. Um, but like I said, that GoFundMe helped me because it gave me like the permission to commit to self-care. If I didn't have that, I don't know what I would have done. I did talk therapy. I did physical therapy. I did this breath breathwork therapy. I had acupuncture. I had, <laughs> I just stacked up on as much therapy as I possibly could because I was a fucking mess, physically, emotionally, mentally a mess. And I made a lot of fucking progress and I am quite proud of myself. I stayed committed and I made progress. Um, now, at the same time, 2020 was a shit show outside of my arrest. 2020 was already a shit show, and I was still navigating all those things. Um, and I would still say to this day, like, who I was before 2020 and who I am now, I feel like I am more grounded now, of course. But I think we all were faced with a lot of our shadows during these last two years, and I'm definitely no exception to that. And a lot of demons came forward, a lot of depression came forward, a lot of unhealthy habits came forward. Um, and I did what I had to do. Um, one of my friends... Um, one of my friends, dear friends, runs a nonprofit down here in Denver. It's a food rescue. I did a lot of volunteering down there with her, keep my mind off of things. And I was able to use that uh, data because they kept pushing my fucking uh, trial. They kept pushing it back. They kept pushing it back. They kept trying to just fuck me over. Um, and then I had my, my, uh, I had my lawyer call me and he was talking about how Sussman. Sussman was the name of the the DA that was trying to really fuck me over. And I was like, of course his name is Sussman, fucking suspect ass bitch. I was like, don't tell me his name. I'm a fucking good, you know, do my little uh, manifestation work over here. Uh, <laughs> and my lawyer laughed at me, but I was like, I'm not fucking playing. So every 11-11-222-333 after that, I was like, let's get Gary Sussman fired. Like, he's out. Because uh, my lawyer was telling me that he was a piece of shit and everyone knew it and that he shouldn't even be in, he shouldn't even be in office. And I was like, oh, say less. I'm going to get him out, like, just with the power of thought or whatever. Bro, let me tell you how. And also, I've been, I've been working with manifestation for several years, but I had really tapped into, um, instead of just thinking it, 
feeling it. So how would it feel to get the call that all charges were dropped? And I would, every 222, 11, 11, blah, 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 every time that that would hit, instead of just thinking it, I would feel how it would feel to get that call and then make the, the statement, the I am statements of manifestation, if you're familiar. And uh, literally, bro, within a couple months, I get a phone call to hear that Sussman was fired and that I got this new DA who was this female who had way more compassion for my situation. And this whole plea deal was created for me. In fact, they set the plea deal Instead of a year from the plea deal, they set it back from a year from the day I was arrested. So at that time, I only had, uh, I think it was like a few more months, maybe even two more months to go. And that's how long it took them. It took them literally like eight to ten months to even give me a conversation about trial. Uh, that's how backed up and wild, uh, like, all this protest in Portland and fucking federal bullshit was that year. Um, and, and keep in mind, bro, like, like, a week after me, there was continued shootings around America, dude. The Kenosha killings. Uh, uh, James Blake, is that his name? So many people continued to fucking die. Like, it was so triggering, bro. Um, I was a fucking mess. I was such a mess. Uh, just, like, in my body, in my system. <sighs> so, anyways, when I got news of, like, this plea deal and that it would only be a few more months from there, I was just like, hell the fuck, yeah, let's go. Um, and just... I mean, the only thing they asked me to do was not get in trouble, which I wasn't a troublesome human, so it was no problem. Um, so, uh, yeah, I stayed out of trouble and fucking bought a flight. I bought a flight out of the country. As soon, like, it was three, I, I got, the year, the date, the year date hit. All charges were fucking dropped, baby. Let's go. And, uh, And three weeks later, I was on a plane to Europe. Uh, and I did some soul searching and re, re-grounding and worked on the podcast. And as you, you guys know, like, I did a bunch of episodes on my trip. But it was that trip that brought me back into myself. I swear, every time that I leave on one of these backpacking trips, literally within a day, I'm like... I feel more myself. I remember who I truly am. Like, I'm, I'm free. Um, so to get my freedom back after it being taken away for a year was just, I have no words. Um, <sighs> so profound. Uh, yeah. And so then, you know, just a few weeks ago with the overturn of Roe v. Wade, um, I, that same day, there was, again, I'm back in Denver, and like I said, it's a progressive city. Um, that same day, they announced that there would be a protest, and that was my first protest since the arrest. So, nearly two years later, I was out there marching for women's rights, and it felt good to finally 
Because after the arrest, dude, first of all, I didn't even mention that um, they took away my right to protest. That's something like they made me sign a paper that said I wouldn't. Now, don't get me wrong. I didn't want any, didn't want to go near any fucking protest. I was so traumatized by my experience that I was willing to sign that off. But a week or two after that, like, uh, there was just huge upheaval about the fact that that was unconstitutional. And they did give me the rights back to protest, but I didn't fucking go because I was fucking traumatized. I couldn't even wear the t-shirt that I was wearing during the rest for months. Months after. It's like... People wanted to support me, but they just didn't have an actual idea of what I had been through. And because I wasn't allowed to speak on it, I felt so fucking isolated. And because I was living in Aurora, which was quite far from where everyone else was, but who even cares actually about the distance because it was also COVID and everyone was locked down. Everything was just a fucking mess. It was a recipe for total destruction and depression. I was the least myself I had ever been. So to get my freedom back and to do what I do best, which is follow my heart across the world and like put myself on the edge of comfort by um, experiencing new things, I was able to fill my own cup again, make myself happy. And don't get me wrong, I'm still navigating like the effects. Like I, like I said, I still have physical ailments. Um, I still have... I, I, I mean, a, a year ago, I still had heavy PTSD around this. It's been a year since then, and I'm happy to announce how far I've come. <sighs> Even to be sharing this with you guys now is a major leap. You know, it, it's been hard to talk about, and I'm, I'm, I don't even know if I've gotten everything out that I wish that I could say, but I tried my best, <laughs> um, and, um. I, pre I just want to do a quick shout out to all the people who were there for me during that time because there were a lot of people who weren't. There were a lot of people who either... There was a lot of people who just randomly sent me packages in the mail. People I didn't even know that well. Like little healing tinctures or like one of my friends knitted me a little stuffed animal or like... I had a friend without me asking, go on um, Psychology Today and like filter out and find therapists that pertain to my experience and made me a little document and emailed it to me just to like assist. Um, people showed up in ways that I didn't even know they could. And then other people, people that I thought were close, close friends, totally fell off or basically were overwhelmed, maybe not by the experience, but the experience itself. Because, like, to get arrested for, like, you know, this like this hugely political purpose. Now, if they didn't fully resonate with it, they were, like, kind of, like, adverse to me, right? But not just that. It's, it was also my reaction. Like, people were, um, what do you, like, pushed away or resistant to being around me, perhaps. This is me projecting because some of these people just fell off and never told me exactly why they did, but they just put it in the envelope of this is too much for me, right? And, 
you know, what I'm projecting is like me being the most dysregulated, depressed version of myself um, was uncomfortable for them because they're used to me being, you know, grounded. They're used to me being regulated. They're used to me being maybe someone that they can lean on. And suddenly I was a mess. <laughs> and so it was hard to lose people. It was hard to, again, it was isolating in that way. Like, I already feel isolated as hell in my experience itself, but then to, like, have people drop off because they're, they don't know what to do with their discomfort around my experience. Uh, it's been a long two years, um, but I'm definitely on the other side of it. And I was on my knees calling in the day that I, like, <laughs> when I was a hot mess, I was looking forward to a year later, you know, and now we're two years later, and I am so blessed and privileged to be where I am right now. I am so... <sighs> So grateful to be here um, on the other side of things um, because, yeah, it was it was a lot. Um, but again, I want to name what I went through. Ain't shit to, compared to being literally choked until death, or shot at, or injected with ketamine until death, or you know these young black boys with water guns being murdered or holding a bag of Skittles or people of color, they don't have it as easy as going to jail for 20 stupid fucking hours. They don't have the privilege of being depressed for a year. They just die. And that's my fucking point. And I know that that's, that's intense, but that's real. That's some real fucking shit right there. I, I, just want, I just wanted to say that because I, again, want to bring back to light that, okay, yeah, this was a, a crazy experience, and, and, I, and I appreciate y'all listening, and I hope that I did answer some of the questions that have been out there. And also, despite it being wildly intense, and once you see the videos, you're going to be like, what the fuck, that's insane. And also, I'm alive to tell the story. What I went through ain't shit. What I went through ain't shit compared to fucking centuries of disrespect and rape and segregation and uh, discrimination and murder and slavery. This ain't shit. I bow down in humility and reverence for our siblings of color who have been through what they've been through and still show up in the world with hope and kindness and love and compassion and fucking resilience. Resilience that they should never have had to cultivate it to the extent that they have. I wanna end this pod um, with something I wrote that year because honestly, I don't even really know how to end this. 
But I wrote this poem, and I'm going to share it with you. Get up, stand up. I'm calling in my white friends. You claim you're not racist, and I don't mean to offend. But you were born into privilege and given a lens that keeps you from seeing why this system must end. Or even that there is a system, because it's harder to see when the entire program is built around white reality. It's in mass incarceration, not because they're guilty, but because their whole nation was built on slavery. Because the color of your skin determines opportunity, and justice for your sins means white impunity. It's in no voting rights nor access to land. Where's prosperity if you can't have a hand? See, white folk have access to the American dream, a concept not as attainable as it might seem. We live in an illusion they've painted for us, so please tell me why you sit at the front of the bus while your earth siblings suffer and die in the streets. Innocents are murdered by not-so-discreet police. Our siblings of color are begging to be seen, to be given basic rights like the privilege to breathe. See, this isn't their fight. It's on us to speak up, dismantle inequality, and pour into their cup. These are our combos to have. We must lead the way, for it was our ancestors who stole their freedom away. Don't look down. Don't feel ashamed. Take accountability and remove self-blame. Let's transmute this pain and keep each other in truth. Get educated. Get involved. Head down to the booth. Use your voice. Use your privilege. <laughs> use your privilege. Use the skin on your back to live a life of integrity where we say the word black, not in caution or fear or distasteful shun, but in honor and reverence of all that they've done. This country, this economy, this whole fucking dream was woven by hands of color, and we're ripping out the seams. Thank you guys for tuning in. Before we head out, I would like to list out um, some ways to show up for the black and brown and non-white community that you surround yourself with. Um, being, there's, there's being racist, and then there's being passively racist, and then there's being anti-racist. And what I mean by that is, so for example, in, in this episode, I'm sharing how I was being actively anti-racist, which can feel intimidating and overwhelming for some, even most people. Um, but I guess when we say passively racist, it basically means when you're being silent, silence is violence. And when we are um, being passive in the midst of abuse, um, we are enabling the abuser. And so that's what it means to be passively racist. Um, or even there's like a phrase that's non-racist, but non-racist isn't anti-racist. Anti-racism is being actively anti-racist. So how can we show up in the world that isn't fucking getting arrested at a protest? Other ways to show up for your community is to, most importantly in my opinion, is when you hear something that doesn't sound right or it sounds racist or it sounds um, intolerant, to not just let it skate by. That would be passive to gently interrupt and say, hey, I don't think you meant it this way, but just so you know that's coming off really racist, here's an alternative way to express that. Or, or maybe they didn't even meet, maybe they are meaning to be racist and just interfering and saying, hey, that's not cool. Like this is year 2022. We don't fuck around like that. Please leave if you're going to you know, engage in that type of conversation or whatever. 
Um, or when you are experiencing racism around black and brown and non-white friends and you see that they're uncomfortable, naming, like, not forcing them to stick up for themselves. Stepping in and holding the space and holding it down. That, to me, is, you know, the number one thing we can do. But also, of course, um, sharing BIPOC content, following BIPOC, <laughs> BIPOC uh, Black, Indigenous, People of Color, is what that stands for, um, content, uh, educating yourself is huge, neon lights, educate yourself, educate your family and friends who are willing and available for it, not forcing it down their throats because that won't be received. Um, but when we do it in, you know, planting seeds and uh, over time they might, you know, gain interest. And of course, leading by example. Um, so when we do softly interject or, or, you know, aggressively interject if it's, you know, blatant abuse, um, we're leading the way, we're setting an example. Um, when we share content on our socials that, um, you know, this, the same goes there. Or, uh, of course, signing petitions, writing letters, believing people. Um, so this, 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 of course, goes for the black movement. Um, but this also goes for, like, for example, right now, women's rights. You could be doing all these things for women as well. And so in the same way that I believe that the white people are the ones who should be um, making the most noise for black rights because it's not on the oppressed, right? It's not on the oppressed to stand up to their abusers over and over and over and over again. That's exhausting and we don't get anywhere. Um, similarly, I think men should be leading the way and making the most noise for women's rights um, because... It's the men in charge that are the ones who are going to be able to make the, you know, the legislation changes and so on and so forth. And they're going to listen to other men, just like white people are going to listen to other white people. That is a sad, unfortunate, disturbing fucking truth. Um, but it's real. And um, I'm just trying to make that parallel here, that we need to be sticking up and support. If we love... You know, if you love a woman and if you love a person of color, they don't need to be blood. They don't need to be anything. If you surround yourself with intersectional human beings, right, the same goes for uh, LGBTQI rights. We're also facing that right now. Dear God, in our prayers, let that not be overturned for uh, same-sex marriages. Um, let's all put out the collective thoughts there. Oh, man. We need to stick together. We need to get loud. We need to support each other. And these are just some small, minuscule, super basic, bare minimum ways to start. Um, <sighs> all in all, stand your ground, lead by example, have faith, um, and hold space and listen to and spotlight um, the, the abused. They deserve to be heard, loud and clear. Uh, and, you know, speaking of taking the spotlight, I have, I've gone on for so long that, again, I feel, you know, excuse me for taking the mic for so long, especially on a topic such as this. But thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Um, I'll catch you guys on the flip side. 
and I appreciate you. Over and out. Lastly, if I still have you here with me, all the recordings that you heard dubbed over this episode was actually live footage from the night of the arrest that I decided to include. Um, And the song at the very end was also a recording of a friend who made that song for me after they heard what happened. Thanks so much, guys. Love you.